0: You know,
2: go, go. What is going on belly Up sports fam Mr. Shaka Cummings Mr Parker Ainsworth welcome to F in sports the podcast with two teachers great sports biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, how are you doing on this fine Saturday afternoon, sir?
1: (laughs) It's interesting to be recording on Saturday, but uh, it's nice, it's sunny, uh, it's a week till
2: spring break here in Dallas, so life's good. (laughs) How are you (laughs) doing? I'm doing well. I just want folks to understand that we are recording on a Saturday. Yes, we're going to miss the UFC. Yes, we're going to miss All-Star stuff. I don't want judgment. We are recording on a Saturday. So um, (laughs) hopefully folks will take it easy on us. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth. It is March, Women's History Month, but we're just going to go back to gold stars and detentions. But, uh, Mr. Antor, I have a couple of gold stars, and I think one of them we share that actually would highlight, uh, women as well. So, uh, my first gold star goes to the quartet of women, Alex Morgan, Sue Bird, Chloe Kim, Simone Manuel, who have started their own media It's called Together. It came out this week, so we just got the information on it. And the idea is that women's sports do not get enough coverage. How about a media company that is women-focused, run by women athletes? So I think of it in the same vein, maybe, as the Players' Tribune, only now this is women-driven. And so I think that this is a cool opportunity. I love the fact that these four current athletes are the ones who are the muscle behind it too. Um, I do have a story about Alex Morgan where I'm not necessarily always a fan of her. She got drunk at Disney World and... I'm a Disney fan, so I don't it love that. It is the
1: happiest place on earth, Sean.
2: Yeah, well, listen, they drink around the world. That's fine. But apparently she was belligerent, and so I don't love that. But gold star to her because this is, we're not getting one there. We are, we are only <laughs> uh, celebrating, uh, her today. So shout out to those four. Shout out to Together. Go give it a like and a subscribe and do all those things and learn a little bit more about it because I think it could be cool. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about your first gold star, sir?
1: My first gold star also sticks within the theme of Women's History Month. I guess this technically, Could have been a gold star before, but we were doing Black History Month to open the show. I'm going to go ahead and give a gold star to Renee Montgomery. Renee Montgomery decided to forego the 2020 WNBA season amidst the racial protests over the summer and the coronavirus and so on, da-da-da, and then outright retired in February. And she retired to become a part of a membership group, including a couple other folks, uh, Suzanne Hebert. And Larry Gottenstire. I don't know. Their names are not as important because Renee Montgomery is a former Atlanta Dream player that is currently an Atlanta Dream owner. So to go so quickly, not that I mean Michael Jordan obviously owns an NBA team as well as a former player, but to go so quickly from being a player to a member of the ownership group and getting a seat at the table with the player's perspective is impressive. It's just another one of these times where the WNBA seems to be ahead of the curve in these kinds of issues because players want to have someone with their perspective at those tables and at those meetings renee montgomery is doing
2: absolutely and the big piece with that is that kelly leffler no longer is representing (laughs) atlanta right so renee montgomery is like two for one right there mr ainsworth our shared gold star celebrates the first african american woman to get a job as an nfl ref Maya Chaka, this is awesome. She has a great name. Actually, I think she pronounces it Chaka, which is like a mispronunciation, but no judgment. Maya Chaka, you go, girl. We love the fact that now we're getting a little bit more diversity in the uh, in the referee arena. Frankly, it's okay for me to yell at a man or a woman when I'm on the sideline, right? <laughs> well, and she's uh, she's got her own background education. You know, we love that. I
1: also think it's worth pointing out, this all stems from guys like Bruce Arians getting women on the sidelines in general, getting people of color on the sidelines in general, like, continuing to show, that, like, look, you can do this with this these kinds of moves you can be successful so that of course if the best team in the NFL could do it why couldn't the referees we know the referees need some help right
2: no absolutely oh we know they need help they need all the help (laughs) they can get uh shout out to Maya Chaka I can't wait to see you get yelled at on Sundays um Mr. Ainsworth let's go ahead and jump into our detentions I believe that we share our detentions as well um feels pretty obvious where the detentions (laughs) need to go this week I will lead on Greg mcdermott who is the head coach at creighton his son was in the uh, NBA, oh, uh, getting buckets of course now greg mcdermott this week head coach at creighton they lose a game it comes out that uh one of the statements that he makes to his players is uh he doesn't want anyone leaving the plantation we need to all stay on the plantation dude for real Like, of all the places you could have gone to say, hey, this diverse group of folks, including black people, we need to stick together. You decided that plantation was the metaphor that you wanted to go with. How dumb are you? Working at a college campus, you. Oh my gosh. It is incredibly frustrating that someone wouldn't think through that level of language before speaking as a person in a position of authority to black men in an educational environment like we could talk about collegiate athletics however we'd like to talk about them but they're still associated with the college and as long as they are that's an educational environment and for greg mcdermott to then later say oh i talked to my players and i was willing to resign but my players were the ones who don't want me to resign like dude if you want to resign resign but do not <laughs> take your position of authority and then try to use that to somehow make it seem as if the players are cool with what you did. I can't wait until he tries to go recruit a black kid. It's already hard enough to go get him to go to Nebraska and Creighton. Like, good luck trying to get some kid to go play for you, sir.
1: Well, and like this idea that oh, I told my players I want to resign. Like, they don't know who you're bringing in next. Like that—that's really <laughs> not resign. um I think it's also interesting that look at him like this is not a traditional colloquialism of any kind, right? Like in the south, even in the south where plantations were a thing, this is not a thing people say to any group of people about anything this is entirely something you came with on top of the dome like this is not a common <laughs> saying we were talking off pot about like common sayings yeah, that have racial undertones
2: he could have went with the racist saying about a reservation but instead he went plantation right it's, it's just not it's not ridiculous. the way to go
1: yeah if we're sharing detentions obviously because there's two of us and two of them I also would hand out one to Les Miles. Les Miles this weekend got in trouble for, let's just say, some extracurricular activity of sorts. But I, I think the biggest thing with his extracurricular activity that with you know young women that's inappropriate. I mean, obviously, he's kissing someone in his office. Those kind of things are not great. It's also the same Les Miles that I believe is 2013. It might have been in 2012. But he was making comments about how SEC schools like LSU were going to use pretty girls to help recruit kids. And those kinds of, like, this is obviously nearly a decade later, but this is the same guy. And this is a trend of troubling behavior from a guy that, again, we're putting in charge of young, unpaid men. And that is not, like, this is, he's supposed to be a teacher educating them, not a gross businessman boss. Not that it would be any more acceptable in the business sector either. This is just disgusting behavior that continues a troubling
2: trend. Disgusting on so many fronts. Number one, you have these young women who are in college. You're in a position of authority and you are definitively taking advantage of them. That's number one. Number two, there is definitive questions about consent in this instance where he is driving young women around in his car, touching them, kissing them. Like there are definitive issues there. Number two. Number three This man exhibited these types of behaviors and still was able to go get a job at Kansas after he gets fired at LSU. Not for this stuff. He got fired at LSU because they thought he sucked that he wasn't a good enough football coach. Number four, this is now gonna be the reason why Kansas fires him, even though he sucks as a football coach in Kansas too, which only means that we have such jaded standards around what's most important in collegiate athletics. Don't anybody talk to me about these kids not getting paid because I might punch you in the throat. I'm getting sick. I'm tired of these folks being at the top, being in leadership positions. And exhibiting these types of behaviors on college campuses. And you want to talk about the morality of paying athletes who generate revenue? Man, please, I'm tired of that. Don't even get me started, Mr. Antwer. i I'm ready to go on a Saturday. We are gonna get <laughs> we're gonna be so fired up to talk MLB preview. We're gonna talk a little baseball. We are also gonna talk about the dirtiest athletes. In professional sports, and we're gonna circle back to a comment that LeBron James made a few weeks ago about the most disrespected players in the NBA. So, without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to be taken out to the ball game? Taken out <laughs> to the crowd, friends. It is spring training. Pitchers and catchers have already reported. They are playing games in very warm locales. Um, sometimes I'm a little bit jealous being here in Lexington, Kentucky. where it's like 24 degrees this morning as I was walking my dogs. Um, Mr. <laughs> Hainsworth is our Major League Baseball preview. We're going to do a little sports SATs, multiple choice questions. We got several. Let's talk baseball, Mr. Ainsworth. Let's start with our first Major League Baseball multiple choice question for the 2021 season. Mr. Ainsworth. the National League pennant will be won by A, the Dodgers, B, the Padres, C, Atlanta, D, the Mets, E, someone else. I look at that, my heart is definitively not with any of these teams, but my (laughs) head, my head says Dodgers, right? My answer is going to be B, the Padres. I'm actually going to go, I just have a gut feeling that the Padres, I love locking up Fernando Tatis. I love overpaying in the minds of some to bring Manny Machado in. They also were aggressive in the offseason signing a Korean baseball player by the name of Ha Sung Kim to a four-year deal, 25-year-old who can rake. I think that they've got a lineup, they're young, they're hungry. I just I got a feeling, Mr. Ainsworth, that they're going to look at the pub that the Dodgers are getting in their state And they're the big money team, even though the Padres spend a ton of bucks. And, like, the Padres are going to get inspired by that. Atlanta's got a good young team. I would love to see the Mets, frankly, be successful, and I love the new ownership. And they got Lindor in there, and DeGrom maybe will get some offensive help this year, which might help him. (laughs) But I I think I'm going to go with the Padres. What are you thinking, Mr. Ainsworth? This comes down to Southern California, whether that's (laughs) San Diego or L.A., I wonder
1: if there's some exhaustion in LA just having been so good for so long. Obviously, they have the one World Series to show for it now. I, to me, that makes me think Padres just because I feel like, especially with how expedited last season was and the in between seasons has not been as, as it normally would go. And then they, you factor in that they played so many games so many years in a row before that. I wonder if it's also to the Padres, the younger team with frankly more to prove, right? Because they can't rest on their laurels. There's no laurels to rest on. I also think <laughs> that you know that Hosmer is fun at first base. I think that they're just they're a good, well built team. You Darvish in the rotation. I would say LA knows him fairly well. Um, Blake Snell's a fun pickup as a pitcher too. And so I think that while the Dodgers could very well get a wild card spot and make the playoffs. I don't mean to say that like the Dodgers are not good all of a sudden. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I just think that at some point this NL Pennant will
2: come down to Southern California and go for the new guy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and we don't want to short the Dodgers. I mean, listen, they've got as good a rotation as anybody, top three with uh Bueller. They just signed Bauer, they have Kershaw, they've got hitters too, right? Because Bellinger and Betts. I'm not gonna put any money on it though. Uh Mr. Aceberg, <laughs> uh, our Next multiple choice question. The AL Pennant will be won by A, the Yankees, B, C, D, and E are all wrong answers, but I'll read them out to you anyway. Uh B, the <laughs> Twins, C, the White Sox, D, the A's, or E someone else. I'm getting a feeling you might say E, Mr. Ainsworth.
1: My heart wants to go Houston Astros as a <laughs> answer for sure. And I will say, while they ha- are not as talented as they have been the last four years, it's not like they're Bad. Like, like, <laughs> I look at their roster and I'm like, yeah, they lost Springer, but they still got Tuve, they still got Correa, they still got Bregman. And then obviously got young talent coming up as well as the guy like a Tucker or the rookie of the year a couple years ago. I, I think that I, I, I look at them and just think that if I'm betting on a team to win, a, win the pennant, especially after they haven't in the last few years, I, I look at your New York Yankees and know that uh, I don't mean to pump up your ego too much there. Um, we just saw a decade for the first time in how long? I know you're going to tell me how long that they haven't uh, won a World Series, gone to the woods or whatever in that in a decade. I just don't think that that trend continues. They're very good. They still have Aaron Jones cranking it. And you have to pitch completely around him as you see that lineup. I just I think that changes a lot
2: of things. No, the Yankees, they definitely feel like they're set up this year to maybe break through and get back to a World Series. Now, the offense is never ever been the issue right because you have LeMahieu winning batting titles you have when Stanton is healthy and when Judge are healthy obviously they can anchor any lineup but you also have an Aaron Hicks you have Voight you have Sanchez Torres like you got guys who can definitely hit and what the Yankees have offensively and what they've always had is depth as well Brett Gardner is going to be back that's going to help in case they have any of those injuries in the outfield. Uh, you Uh They ended up picking up Jay Bruce, and he's just knocking around, and he's just going to be their infielder who would come off the bench. And it's like, that's a big bat to potentially bring off your bench, right? The question with the Yankees is starting pitching. The bullpen feels solid. We have to get the level of pitching from Garrett Cole that he gave the Astros the year that he was with them, and of course... What he historically showed himself to be even prior to getting to Houston. And so then you look at the Yankees and the starting pitching and the question, I mean, they're all over the place, right? Because like, who's going to replace Tanaka? You can't just lose that production and that consistency now that he's going back to Japan and think, oh, everything's going to be cool. Like, is Jamison Taylor going to be able to do it? Because he wasn't, I mean, listen, he's highly rated as a prospect when he went to Pittsburgh, but he hasn't blown the doors off. Are we going to see Corey Kruber from a couple of years ago? Because if we don't, I don't know. Domingo Jermaine, that dude looked like a stud. Then he missed all of last year because Tommy John kills everything. And so now, what is this Yankee rotation going to look like? Because it has all the potential in the world to be solid and maybe the best in the American League. And you got all these new faces that are coming in with injury questions, and I don't know. But here's what I do know. The Yankees rake in the regular season, so they're going to be in the playoffs. They will be in that deal. So I'm going to rely on their veteran experience to push them over the top and win that pennant. Mr. Ainsworth, let's talk MVPs. The NL MVP will be... A, Fernando Tatis. B, Juan Soto. C, Mookie Betts. D, Ronald Acuna Jr., or E, someone else. Ronald Acuna Jr., is the best young baseball player I feel like all around that I've seen, like, since Ken Griffey Jr. was coming up. Like, he is a stud. So, like, there's a part of me that says he's probably ready to break out now, win that MVP. Atlanta should be decent as well. Like, Atlanta is one of these teams that people are talking about in the NL East. Uh, That being said, if I'm going to go with my gut and say the Padres are going to win the pennant, I feel like I should take Tatis. Um, And so... The question for me really is Tatis Machado. Like, who's going to be the person who emerges and leads that team from an offensive standpoint? Or even like, could it be the pitching that ends up leading that team? Like, should it be you, Darvish or Blake Snell that we're actually looking at? So it's, it's that level of question that makes me go to Acuna because Ronald Acuna Jr., everything in my person says that he's a stud. Shout out to Mookie Betts. I I told you that he was like the, the, he had the best. 2020 of any professional athlete. So, shout out to him, but you got your ring, dude. I'm going to go with the Coolia Jr. (laughs) and some new blood. So, Mr. Ainsworth, what are you thinking? Did I sell you on a Coolia Jr., or are you going to go with the half a billion dollar dude in Fernando Tatis?
1: (laughs) Well, so my initial thoughts are Tatis, and I guess my thought there too is that this is a voted on thing, not a machine or numbers. Like, it's not like they just plug all the numbers in the machine and take the top guy. Although numbers are super important, baseball obviously, but it's it's people voting. And so, if the Padres have the type of year I'm anticipating, right? I think we both say we're expecting big things out the of them. Absolutely, year. he's the face of that team, right? And so, like, <laughs> even on nights that he's not, like, even on night he goes 0 for 4 because that happens. Like, he is the face of a team that if they win that game, it
2: kind of helps his case, right? Well, he's so, going to be able to impact the game defensively too. He can go 0 for 4 and still be the reason your team won because he converts some double plays at shortstop or
1: right. That's but that that what I'm really saying here though is that he can have a bad week but the team have a good week and that still kind of will help his case in the long run right and so I look at Tatis and think that he should be a front runner for this you mentioned Mookie Betts I think if there were going to be a person at E be another Dodger Cody Bellinger and again (laughs) these are if these are voted on things I wonder if that tugs at one another a little bit if you know I guess you could argue all three being in Southern California may tug at it a little bit. But I think, that, <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Dodgers being the national brand that they are will get a lot of eyes and attention as well. And then if, you know, Bellinger has a good month versus Betts has a good month, you could have, you know, people splitting votes there. Was I don't see that happening with Tatis and Machado. It might just be because Tatis is this young and exciting. He's the cover of the baseball video game and he's clearly someone they want to be the face of the league, right? He's got some swag to him. Last year he's cranking Grand Slams up 30 to whatever or whatever (laughs) it was. That... And that's fun to me. So I think my money would go to Tatis. It's hard for... as Maybe it's because Juan Soto ruined my Astros 18 months ago. But I'd also <laughs> say, like, this is a great list of players. I would not be surprised if Juan Soto won in Washington either. Because he's not in Southern California splitting votes, those guys.
2: I will say that E, someone else, definitely looks attractive. when you consider that Christian Yelich already has an MVP, right? And so maybe... It could be someone like him, but also go to New York. And if the Mets are going to be good, they just acquired Francisco Lindor. He's going to be the reason that they're going to be good. Mr. Ainsworth, let's talk AL MVP. The AL MVP will be A, Mike Trout, B, Jose Ramirez, C, Bo Bichette, D, Eloy Jimenez, or E, someone else. Eloy Jimenez is just kind of sneaky in there, by the way. Who do you think, Mr. Ainsworth? Well, and I love Bo Bichette in there too. That's a fun. No, absolutely. Um, Let me just say that, like Bo Bichette and then Fernando Tatis Jr. is like, okay, I remember all these guys' dads playing. You know what I mean? I'm gonna go. I actually have
1: a couple people off the board that I would throw in here too. Obviously, you're gonna call me a homer with my Astros, but I would think Bregman could very well be in this conversation. I think Bregman is gonna have to have a big year coming off of a not so great expedited year if the Astros were to win the AL West, and so on. Obviously, the easy money would always be Trout, because the truth is, if you're just going to give it to the best player, you might just give it to Mike Trout every year. The other E I'll throw in there, though, and again, you might call me a homer, but... So, if the Blue Jays do very well this year, and you're calling, you know, putting it on Bo Bichette, and again, that's a fun name to have in this, and that's awesome. Um, (laughs) Another Blue Jay that is a sudden impact player, and if you're going to be like, look at the way he's turning around this franchise, he's bringing in championship experience and so on, is George Springer, right? I mean, like, George Springer can very easily have the kind of year that you could say he pulls in championship experience and, makes this team a contender and does all those kinds of things in a more narrative sense while also putting up great stats and so I I think that that would make him an E type candidate but man at the end of the day if if we're going to take best team out of it or winning out of it it's hard to not just put your money on Trout here
2: no absolutely and I think that the smart money is probably Mike Trout I'm not that smart though because I look at E and I'm like if the Yankees are going to be good it could be because you know John Carlos stays healthy because Aaron Judge starts to rake right and There are other teams that could emerge, and then you got other players to consider. Can I tell you that my favorite player on this list is Eloy Jimenez, which is why he made the list? Because I love dudes who you send off the bus first. Eloy Jimenez (laughs) is every bit of 6'5", 240. So, like, he looks like a power forward, Mr. Haynes. He looks like someone who the Rockets might have signed a couple of weeks ago to play small ball center for them. like, And he ranks. He hit nearly 300 last year, 14 home runs, 41 RBIs. I do think that the White Sox are going to be good as well, which obviously helps. The real question with him, because it's not talent. I think that he's as talented as anyone on this list, including Mike Trout. The real question with him is Chicago has to be good enough that they steal some of the publicity from the Cubs in town. On a national level, people are paying attention to them. If all these things come to... The confluence that I think could happen. I like Eloy Jimenez as much as I like anyone on this list. So I think I'm going to run with him. Even though I said he kind of snuck on the list. It's feeling like this could be a year for maybe someone out of the ordinary. I will say
1: that completely tells me why you hate the Houston Astros. It's not because <laughs> of the trash cans. It's because Al is
2: getting off the bus first for us, and he's not a off the bus first. Kind of guy. <laughs> Have you ever seen the picture of him next to Mike Trout? The oh, not Mike <laughs> well, Trout. He's like, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> they reminds play the, me of the same sport. They is, play... It, <laughs> it so reminds me of the picture from years ago with uh, Manute Bow and Bugsy Bogues, and they're holding like four basketballs in between them. It's nuts. Okay, so let's get back on to... Baseball Mr. Ainsworth. The NL Cy Young will be A Jacob deGrom B you Darvish C Aaron Nola D Walker Bueller or E someone else. There is a part of me, Mr. Ainsworth, that again looks at San Diego and says you Darvish is gonna have to be special. That being said, Blake Snell could be the guy who could be special. And at the top of that rotation, maybe they split votes. Walker Buehler showed us how special he was last year with the Dodgers. That being said, he's got Trevor Bauer and Clayton Kershaw in the rotation. And maybe there's some split there. Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. And I think it's unquestioned at this point. If you give him any sort of run support, he's winning this Cy Young. And I think that the Mets are going to give him run support. The Mets, in my opinion, are going to be that sleeper team that... Folks are going to look at, and they're going to be like, oh, we just haven't paid enough attention to them over the last couple of years. But Jacob DeGrom has his two Cy Youngs. He's going to lead this team. The offense is going to be significantly better. I like the Mets' chances of doing something good this year in terms of making the playoffs. I'm going to take DeGrom as a Cy Young. Mr. Ainsworth, did I convince you that it needs to be DeGrom for the third year? <laughs> well, you, you didn't have to convince me because I thought I was going to hand it to him,
1: too. <laughs> off, I also think, looking at the moves they made, I'll have some more runs. For you brought up the exact point I was going to bring up about folks splitting votes, whether it's Darvish and Snell, Bueller, Brower, and Kershaw, or whatever it may be, right? Like, I think that the deal is other teams with more complete staffs will, you know, if each guy on, or if you have two 20 game winners in San Diego, it kind of diminishes the other because it's like, oh, that's just a great team. You don't think of it as you Darvish getting 20 and Blake Snell getting 20. You think of it as a staff with two 20 game pitchers. Yeah, absolutely. because, Because they're that good. Or if, you have three guys in L.A. that each have 15-plus wins. It's like, man, that's just a fantastic team. Like, you don't think about the fact that, yeah, but Kershaw's got 22 of them. You think about the fact <laughs> of how great that staff is. And so I think the counterpoint for DeGrom is that, like, without pooping on city of New York too much, his team's not as good, right? And so since his team's not as good, they win when he shows up, and that's a very, you know, much more of an individual stat in baseball, obviously, I talk all the time about how I hate wins as an individual stat in other sports. But in baseball and pitching, it really is one. And so if the team wins however many games, he's responsible for 20-plus of them. Like, it's, oh, man, he's really—or whatever it may be, right? And then you factor in the fact that he's going to have great ERA. Then you factor in the fact that he's going to have a ton of strikeouts. And, like, all that stuff adds up, too. The split there amongst staffs is going to hurt people, I think. And it's not because they're not great pitchers. It's just because it's going to look like a team type of award when this is an individual type of award.
2: And let me just say, because Aaron Nola is on the list and we didn't talk about him at all. Uh, I I have him on the list as the guy, Mr. Ainsworth, who could do what Trevor Bauer did last year, which is he's been good and maybe he emerges and now he becomes elite. 328 ERA last year, uh, a 2.2 wins above replacement, but he was a 500 pitcher. Philly has to be better. Philly is not going to be bad because Aaron Nola is on the mound. <laughs> they'll be good every fifth day because they got that dude. And what I'm thinking is, is that he has the potential to emerge, maybe get to like 15 wins this year, be an all star, and now people start to talk about him a little bit. It's just that Degrom is so dominant, so well, it's going to be hard for me to go anywhere else.
1: We didn't talk much about Washington with Scherzer or Strasburg. Like, it's the same kind of thing for them, right? Like they'll have the same kind of concept. Whereas someone like Nola or someone like
2: a Degrom, it's like much more of their show. Absolutely. Mr. Ainsworth, let's talk AL Cy Young. The AL Cy Young Award winner will be A, Shane Bieber. Insert all of your Justin Bieber jokes here. B, Garrett <laughs> Cole. C, Lucas Giolotto. D, Kenta Maeda. Or E, someone else. Where are you going to go, Mr. Ainsworth? Why am I even asking? Why is Garrett Cole going to win it, Mr. Ainsworth? <laughs> because he learned
1: some great things in Houston. No, so what I will say
2: is that. I think it's Garrett Cole. I think the here's the
1: deal about Garrett Cole and the New York Yankees is I, Kluber could have a great year too, but he will have both, I assume, if he returns to form, he didn't play as one the expedite season as I thought he was going to. He will have the ERA strikeouts, et cetera, stats that he'll have on an individual level. I assume as a New York Yankee, we both just picked them. He'll have a lot of wins on the like, team slash individual level, and... He plays in the pinstripes under the bright lights in Yankee Stadium. Like, it's a voted-on award, too, at some point, right? And so you'll see more people getting more eyes on the New York Yankees. We'll see every single Yankees-Red Sox series on national television across the country. Like, he gets to be seen more. So while Shane Bieber has some nasty stuff, it doesn't really matter if no one's watching it, right? And, like, Tyler Glass now in Tampa Bay, that's fun, but... Tampa Bay doesn't get the same kind of light that Garrett Cole has. So if all things are equal, like even if Glasnow is as good a year as Garrett Cole,
2: but Garrett Cole is doing it in pinstripes, history
1: tends to say that that matters.
2: No, absolutely. I think that, like, again, my head says Garrett Cole because he's going to emerge this year. If I'm going to go to Chicago and say that they're going to be decent this year, Giolito is going to be as much a reason as to why they're good as anyone. So there's a part of me that says, don't sleep on that dude. Throw... Are you, he all-star last year. He throws as hard as anyone. I think Chicago's going to be decent. I think that I'm going to agree with you though. Go Garrett Cole, because I think the Yankees going to be good and he's going to get a lot of publicity for the Yankees being good, considering that he really is he He's has to be the ace of their staff. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, the most interesting off season question, in my opinion, was where's Trevor Bauer going to sign. And when he signed with the Dodgers, there was a lot of talk about, Is Trevor Bauer worth the money that he got? So the final multiple choice question that we have, Trevor Bauer this year with the Dodgers will be A, a Cy Young candidate, B, a good starter, lost in the Dodger rotation with Bueller and Kershaw, C, average at best, or D, prove that he was overrated and overpaid by the Dodgers with a poor season. I think B is the answer because, again, I think the rotation is good and I think the Dodgers are going to be good. And even if Bauer isn't as good as he was last year with the Reds, like the Dodgers are so good in terms of their offense, he could have an ERA around four and still win 15 games because the right. Dodgers offensively are so good. So like my gut says, B, that he's going to be good and just kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, I think Walker Bueller will be the guy who still emerges and looks like the ace. But in October, the Dodgers are going to be happy that they have Trevor Bauer. What are your thoughts, Mr. Ainsworth?
1: Well, I think it's interesting too that I don't think Dodgers fans necessarily care as long as he doesn't stink, and I, so they got <laughs> they've got tons of money and they've got a great team, and it's just one more great starting pitcher to throw into a week long series in the fall. And I I think it's worth pointing out. You said his if he's ERA or back to four, his career ERA is closer to four. Last year was extraordinary at 1.75 or 1.73 sorry but it's still like very impressive that you know they signed this guy this big a contract on what was one great year amongst an otherwise a good career. I think the deal is is that he's going to get lost in rotation as well B because we mentioned that neither one of us put in the Cy Young candidate neither one of us had him there and kind of had trouble picking a single Dodger to put there. I, I think that his run support will make him better than the C average at best answer and I don't think, I mean, if they make a run, we both said it'd be more fun to see the Padres win this and the other. I think you end up siding with the Dodgers, if I remember correctly. But, you know, if they have a great run and get to or almost get to a World Series, I don't think they'll feel like they overpaid them because the Dodgers have all the money in the world. Just ask Mookie
2: Bet. So I think that leaves <laughs> me
1: with only B left,
2: right? No, absolutely. Mr. Ainsworth, the question that we didn't ask, who do you think is going to win the World Series? Like, I believe that you said it's going to be Padres, Yanks. I'm of the mindset, I actually said there's going to be Padres and Yanks as well. I'm going to pick the Yankees. Although I'm scared of the Padres. I genuinely believe that if San Diego is going to do something, if a team's going to kind of come from out of nowhere in terms of not having the national spotlight and then winning a World Series, it's going to be San Diego this year. Um, but I'm going to go Yanks because I'm a Yanks fan. So, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, who are you thinking will win the World Series this year?
1: So you said you're scared of the Padres. I might be more scared of my wife. And she's a New Yorker and a Yankees fan. So I think it has to be the Yankees here. <laughs>
2: Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement?
1: Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis?
2: So, I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has, so maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden, but...
1: Okay, Mr. Cummings, as it is coming off of All-Star Weekend, we're recording before the All-Star Game, we're sticking (laughs) with some news from outside of basketball, where LeBron James tweeted that Devin Booker was the most disrespected player in the NBA. So,
2: my thesis for you is, (laughs) thank you, Mr. James, Devin Booker is the most disrespected player in the NBA. I love that LeBron James has his charter school, and he's feeding us thesis statements. This is awesome. It all ties (laughs) back to teaching. Uh, I think I'm going to go B, because... He's up there, but I don't think he's at the top. How would you grade this one, Mr. Ainsworth For a very similar reason. I think I'm going to stick at a C. Um, he needs some more credit,
1: but I don't think he's the only guy. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, this thesis claims that Devin Booker is the most disrespected player in the NBA. To me, disrespected inc- implies that there's something that the person has earned and is not getting, right? I think that this is... If you, you were know, asking Professor James about his tweet, I think that <laughs> he would be arguing that Booker is owed more respect in making the All-Star game than just continually making it as a replacement for an injured player. You went B. I went C. I think our reasonings are similar, even though your grade's a little different. So explain to us what your thought process is.
2: No, absolutely. So what I ended up doing, Mr. Ainsworth, is I actually put together... My top five players who are disrespected in the NBA, I would love to share that list with you. And I would love your feedback, which I am sure you're going to be more than willing to give, especially if you don't agree with it. So um, I, I, I want to go back as well, Mr. Ainsworth, to do what you did, which is define what disrespect means to me. There's a difference between being disrespected and like time has passed you by. So like now people want to disrespect a Kevin Love. People want to disrespect a Blake Griffin. Talk about how he hasn't dunked since 2019. That's fine. But in their heyday, they got their respect. Can I say
1: one thing about the haven't dunked since 2019? If you have not dunked in your life, you need to stop talking about a guy
0: 2019.
2: (laughs) What if you dunked a volleyball back when you were in high school, but your hands were just (laughs) too small to dunk a basketball? Can you still talk about it? Um, Anyway, a little more information about Mr. Cummings than you probably wanted. Let me say this as well like uh, disrespect does not mean the same thing is underrated to me like Nikola Vucevic is underrated but I think his respect is coming Colin Sexton the young bull like he is gonna get his respect like he's gonna take it from you if you're not willing to give it to him Trey Young is a guy who might be teetering because I feel like he should have had some all-star appearances already but I still feel like he's young enough that maybe he's just underrated right now versus disrespected Mr. Ainsworth Let me talk to you about disrespected. Top five, Mr. Ainsworth, the five most (laughs) disrespected players in the NBA. Number five, Rudy Gobert. And here's how I know I'm right, Mr. Ainsworth, because when I told you my list (laughs) off pod, you said, damn it, you're going to go with Rudy Gobert? That's why he's disrespected. Rudy Gobert, in all seriousness, Mr. Ainsworth, is one of the best defensive players I have ever seen. But because he doesn't get 20 points per game, or because his defense can't stop a James Harden there are people on this podcast who want to disrespect him. Rudy Gobert currently this season averaging 14 points and 13 boards on the best team in the NBA. And we actually questioned why he's an MVP candidate last week. Like Rudy Gobert is as good a defensive player as I have seen. And because he's not a 20 point game scorer, because he's not a highlight dunker, I feel like... He ends up getting disrespected he's out there in utah so people don't care this is a dude who's gotten a couple of defensive Player of the year awards like we shouldn't be questioning him as mvp candidate now go ahead and eviscerate my answer
1: so my thought there goes back to my definition of disrespect is he's a tremendous defender that has won two defensive player of the year awards and made five all defensive teams and has now made two all-star games like i don't feel like that's an inadequate amount of respect given what he is. Like, like, I think that's why he's, he's fact, a great defender, and he's been given
2: the best defender in the league award twice. Like, I think that's good. I gotta, <laughs> the fact that you said given what he is tells me that he's disrespected because you know you meant a little dig there. But that's fine. Mr. Ainsworth, as we go up the list, maybe you'll agree with me a little bit more. Can we go to number four? <laughs> How about Donovan Mitchell? How about Spider? How about the fact that both of the Utah guys were the last two picks in the all-star draft? Donovan Mitchell came into the NBA as someone who folks didn't know. I knew him because he went to Louisville and he kind of killed Kentucky. He's Westchester County. Yeah, I mean, he's a New York guy. So, you know, he gets love for sure. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell came into the NBA as a rookie without a bunch of fanfare and average 20 points per game and like the reason why people knew him was because he had the whole campaign of what really is a rookie now listen I wasn't on the side that said Ben Simmons shouldn't have won that MV- that uh, rookie of the year Ben Simmons deserved that rookie of the year Donovan Mitchell is uh, incredible but Ben Simmons was the rookie of the year that being said Donovan Mitchell is incredible and I feel like we don't talk about him enough Amongst the most clutch players in the league, we don't talk about him enough amongst the best guards in the league. We don't talk about Spider in the way that we talk about some other guys who like Luka Doncic gets a ton of publicity. Donovan Mitchell has done more in this league than Luka Doncic has. And he's, and before we say, Oh, well, Luka hasn't been in the league that long. This is Donovan Mitchell's fourth season. He hasn't been in the league that long either. But we don't talk about him in that vein. He wasn't someone who we were pubbing as potential MVP before the season started. In fact, I don't remember us talking about Donovan Mitchell until Shaq disrespected him a couple of weeks ago. And now Sneaky Utah, they're the one seed. This is a dude who plays shooting guard and he's six feet tall in the NBA. He's one of the best guys in the NBA six feet or under. Maybe in the history of the league. And so I feel like we definitely disrespect him. Mr. Ainsworth. (laughs) <laughs> How do you feel about McDonovan Mitchell take? So I think it's more nuanced. I think you're correct in a
1: lot of ways that he would be on, a, if I would make a tier of disrespected guys, he's on a fairly high level. And it's frankly not because of things from before the Shaq statement a couple weeks ago. But if you look at, or you want to call it fuel to the fire or whatever, since that Shaq statement, they've launched into the number one team like in the NBA, right? They have the best record in the NBA. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out that as a six-foot shooting guard, they do have more size on the perimeter. So he, he ends up guarding other teams' point guards more times than not. He's also a stout guy. But I'm impressed, like you said, he gets talked about like he's a veteran as a fourth-year player. And when we talk about get guys earning and and not earning, and again disrespect coming from this idea that like you haven't not getting something you've earned yet, he gets talked about in a negative light amongst other veterans as a fourth-year player. Now, I, I kind of get the Luca comparison you're making, because he is three years older than Luca, even though he's only been in the league one more year, and I, I don't think that that is something people don't look at in the NBA, right? Like, like Luca just turned 21, and Donovan Mitchell is 24, and people are closer to their, like, mature peak self at 24 than they are at 21, but I will say that we certainly don't talk about him making shots at the end of games. We talk about Luka making shots at the end of games, and statistically Luka is worse in the clutch. Right In the last 10 seconds of a tied or behind by a possession game, Luka shoots the ball worse than Donovan Mitchell does. But we think about the shot over the Clippers in the bubble, or we think about the shot over the Celtics a couple of weeks ago, and I think that that's what people latch onto, as opposed to that the Jazz aren't down at the buzzer, so it doesn't matter as much right now.
2: Absolutely. Three things, Mr. Ainsworth. First thing is, um, Donovan Mitchell plays in a backcourt with another guy who's on this list, and there's not as much size on the perimeter as you might think in Utah, but we'll save that for later. Uh, Second thing, uh, I remember people saying that when Gordon Hayward left Utah, that Utah was just going to disappear. And, Utah knew better because they knew that Donovan Mitchell was coming, right? And so the fact that he's kept Utah relevant in the West, consistently making the playoffs, like we forget about that too. And then the final thing is we don't talk enough about kind of that clutch gene with some of these guys who are on this disrespected list. Donovan Mitchell is definitely there. You know, shout out Donovan Mitchell, hashtag I hate Louisville. Uh, Mr. If anything, <laughs> I will
1: say in regards to his clutch gene, he gets dinged for last year's bubble performance. When the truth is, he played incredible, even though they lost a 3-1 series lead. He played incredible in the bubble. No, absolutely. I mean, playoff series. It was not necessarily his fault that they lost that series. No,
2: I mean, he went head-to-head with Murray. Like, I remember them going back and forth, because that's a whole... Again, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky. This is a whole deal. Them going back and forth in the bubble. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, number three on my top five most disrespected NBA players list. This is now where I get to Devin Booker. I think that he's third most disrespected player in the NBA. And... The biggest thing with Devin Booker, because I do think that people recognize him as a young guy coming up. They see that he's darn near 23 points per game for his career. But he's he's just elevating in terms of his points per game scoring throughout his career. I, I think that people recognize Devin Booker as a scorer. They remember that he scored 70 points. Oh, by the way, friends, top 10 scoring performance all time in NBA history, Devin Booker with those 70 points. Like, we forget about that maybe. But where Devin Booker gets disrespected is the fact that he can't make an all-star game without someone getting injured first. Like, the only reason why he's on the all-star team last year is because of injury replacement. The only reason why he's on the all-star team this year is because of injury replacement. And then there's the irony that he won't be playing in the all-star game because he's actually injured, right? I feel like, like, Book should just be on it. Like, at this point in his career, we should just assume Book's on it until he's Not right, like he needs to be on it until he has a bad season because Phoenix is only elevated year after year with Devin Booker. That team went undefeated in the bubble last year, and that's as much because of Devin Booker as anyone else. I just feel like we need to accept that Book is coming up. I love that his middle name is Armani, like that's my dude. That's the level (laughs) of luxury that we need to expect from Devin Booker, Mr. Ainsworth. I know that you said C versus B, so I know that you do have some questions, but obviously. You like Devin Booker's game as well. So um, I
1: enjoy Booker. I just, my thing with the C was more about, if we're going to my side of this, that I didn't necessarily think that he was the most. If if I look at Devin Booker, I point out that he and Donovan Mitchell are the same age. He's been in the league longer, right? Because he came out after one year at Kentucky versus a couple years at Louisville and, and, you know, there was no prep school year between high school and Kentucky for him either. But as I look at Devin Booker, it's worth pointing out both kids are 24 years old and this is his second all-star selection even if he's not going to be able to play, both times getting in because someone else is injured. And I think my deal there is I'm at a C because I, again, 24-year-olds with a bunch of all-star appearances, not necessarily a big deal, doesn't happen at all. Like, I wouldn't have given him one at 19, 20, or 21 years old. Really thinking about, like, when he was 22 should he have made it that year and then last year and this year should he have made it without having to get added in as an injury player. like that's the disrespect I'm talking am right nothing else is missing on his resume that I feel like he's owed I think that across the league it's worth pointing out that he is a guy other players are impressed by and that means people that do this for a living are impressed by the way he scores the basketball. And that's like <laughs> the same way it's like a winning a, a writer's award from other writers. The same way when you're nominated by your fellow teachers right? As a teacher, if your coworkers nominate you for an award, like there's something to that. Like other people
2: that do this are impressed by the way he plays. Absolutely. Number two on my Agreed. list, Mike Conley Jr. Mike Conley Jr., I don't remember him playing on bad teams in Mr. Ainsworth because it was Grind City in Memphis when he was there. And he was as integral... To that franchise coming up, being successful, really challenging people, not only in terms of wins, and losses, but just physically, like challenging your manhood. Like that was the Memphis Grizzlies. You hated going to play them guys, and nobody wanted to see them in a seven game series. All Mike Conley Jr. has done is one since he's been in the league, and frankly, He's been disrespected from his time in college. Like, people don't even remember Mike Conley going to Ohio State because they remember Greg Oden, right? Like, Greg Oden was the dude. Conley was the also-ran. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like his career has just been kind of defined by disrespect. He wasn't the top point guard in his high school class, the Ohio State piece. Now he's in the NBA. Mr. Ainsworth, I know that you know this now, but... If I would have asked folks three weeks ago how many All Star appearances Mike Conley had, what do you think people would have guessed? Like, you think people would have probably believed that he's been an All Star? No, he's only making the All Star team for the first time this season, and it's only because Devin Booker got injured. And oh, by the way, an
1: injured guy got injured. There you go. Replacement guy got injured.
2: A dude who doesn't get his respect got injured, and now we're finally going to acknowledge Mike Conley. And oh, by the way, Mister Ainsworth, this was the guy who I'm referencing. Like, people might not even know where Mike Conley plays. He plays in Utah who now all of a sudden is the best team in the NBA in terms of record. And Mike Conley's only been there for the last couple of years because he was traded from uh, Memphis to Utah pre-bubble. So now he is here for his second year, and all of a sudden Utah's elevating. He and Donovan Mitchell are in the backcourt together locking people down. Mike Conley, one. These are little guys who get in there and grind you to death, man. I love Mike Conley. I love his game. I love the way he plays. I feel like he could have been the starting point guard for the New York Knicks in the 90s. And you know that that's a level of respect from me, <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth. Mike Conley Jr., how do you feel about him being on this list, Mr. Ainsworth? So, I would have him
1: as a tier above Booker, too. And I think my deal there is more of the longevity of how this has happened to him. So, I did know that he had not made the All Star game because it came up when Harden went East that that would be an open All Star spot. And so, people are, you know, like, you think about how many great guards have been out West and he's been in the West his whole career. And it starts to make sense, right? He was never going to make it over Steph Curry. He was never going to make it over Prime Chris Paul. He was never going to make it over James Harden. We talk about Dame Lillard, right? And like, all these, like, the guards out West are just tough. That said, he was such an integral part of what grit and grind Memphis was. I also want to clarify when people talk about size, like, well, the Utah has one six foot. Those two guys are on the floor about 16 to 18 minutes a game together. Their other backcourt guys are 6'4 and thick Royce, Royce O'Neal, 6'8 Bogdanovich, right? Joe Ingles is 6'7. They, they alternate guys back there with them. But traditionally, what's impressed me about Connolly defensively is is he guards whoever your best guard is, right? Like, doesn't matter how tall that guy is, he's like, I will come out here and guard Ben Simmons if you need me to, I'll come out here and guard James Harden if you need me to, I'll come out here and guard Dame Lillard if you, like, the variance in who he's covering over the course of time, because he also did it against Tony Barker, and he also did against Tracy McGrady, and he also did against Kobe Bryant. He'll go out there and guard the other team's best perimeter player. My other thing about Mike Conley is that at some point, I don't know that I would have ever put him over any of these guys like the Dame, Lillard, Steph Curry's world, etc. It's it's surprising to me that he never got the injury nod the way he got it this year because he seems to be such a well respected guy in the league. He also gets called disrespected because he was the third rated guy that was on that Ohio State team that was so good. And I think it's just pointing out that, like, in that same high school class, you had. Greg Oden Durant won two. Had he never been injured, I don't think we would disagree with Greg Oden being one, but he got a lot of injuries. Cut his overall longevity. You had Thad Young, who is still in the league. Uh, Wayne Ellington down here at t- also in the top 10. Ty Lawson in the top 10. Brooke Lopez in the top 10. Gerald Henderson in the top 10. Daquan Cook is the Ohio State guy ahead of him at 13. As you keep on coming down, shout out to my man Damian James at 17 and hook horn horns. But number 18 <laughs> is Mike Conley. So he was a top 20 recruit. That's just how impressive that Ohio State class was. You know, in hindsight, is it worth putting him over Daquan Cook? Is he a better guard than Ty Loss? I think that's a fair conversation. But at some point, you're also talking about a bunch of, I mean, all the top 28 players are five-star kids. And so re- realistically, like, that was a delineation within the five-star class. And so, I do think he's been owed more props than he's gotten over the course of his life. He's a tremendous and important basketball player. And I think my biggest bit is that I'm more perplexed as to how he was never an injury replacement to the All-Star game than how he was never a straight-up
2: first group in. The most disrespected player maybe in the history of the NBA is Damian Lillard. So, of course, he's number one on my list. And my thing with Damian Lillard, Mr. Ainsworth, is that right now I feel like he's getting the respect that he's starting to deserve. But he was so disrespected for so many years that, like, he's still proportionately more disrespected than these other guys. Damian Lillard was the Mike Conley, Devin Booker, can't-make-an-all-star-game guy who deserved to make it many years, right? Now, at this point in his career, he's made it six times. He's been All-NBA on five different occasions He was the rookie of the year. So now we look at all of his accolades and we're like, wait a minute, Damian Lillard. But I am telling you, there was a time where folks did not talk about Damian Lillard as one of the best point guards in the league. They didn't talk about him in terms of his clutch gene. Like Dame time was kind of a joke because folks were like, well, what does Portland really do? Portland has consistently been a winner with this man at the helm. He's an MVP candidate this year. Oh, by the way, he was the MVP of the bubble last year. He willed portland into the playoffs and into the play-in game so when we talk about most disrespected nba players you gotta start with damian lillard and then you can talk about everybody else now mr ainsworth i know that you agree that damian lillard needs a little bit more respect do you still think that he's the most disrespected player in the nba at this point i would have said that
1: in maybe 2017 uh as i look back at his career across the board I don't know that I can sit here and say that as much anymore. If anything, it feels almost like he is so commonly discussed as the most disrespected guy that that's like a level of respect, if that makes any sense, right? <laughs> um, because the truth is, is that he, he has a lot of the same criticisms as the guy that used to play for my Houston Rockets and James Harden in that they hadn't been out of the West— He's been to a Western Conference Finals here or there. He otherwise is getting bounced what feels like too early, and he puts up some great stats and some great highlights. The difference to me is that the offensive numbers on Harden are all-worldly historic. I mean, 35 points a game as a perimeter player is historic, whereas Dan Lillard's not quite there. I also, this is just personal preference, I think that the Dan Lillard, you know, crazy distance shot is the impressive thing that he's doing. He's making you cover him from 34 feet. James Harden, it doesn't seem like there's anywhere you can cover him. So much so that people are Double Team wouldn't cross half court, right? Uh, and so I guess that that's the comp. Again, I think of disrespect as things he's owed. In his career, he's, what does it say here? He's been... Rookie of the year. He was the all the best player of the seeding game, which is kind of a weird award, but it was an award. He's made one, two, three, four, five, six all-star games. And then he's been, what is this? MVP award share? He's been in the top 10 for MVP voting four times. Like I don't think of any of those as like he needs a whole lot more of those. He made it in 2014, 15, didn't in 16, 17, and then did again in 1819, 2021. 20, now so I might say that like that's an odd thing. You don't see that very often. But in those in 16, the all-stars included guys like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Steph Curry, right? Paul, guys you're not like going to take out of the game. And then in the next year's game in 17, you again had MVP Russ Westbrook, guy chasing him down in the MVP and James Harden. You again had Steph Curry, again had Clay Thompson. You again, like, how many of these guys can you really take out of the game with an emergence of Clay Thompson taking his place in 16? And so I guess you could argue, does he deserve more spots? Um, He certainly gets his praise in the All League Awards. I think he's got, what does it say? five times he's been on an All-NBA team, which is probably more important than being on an All-Star team.
2: But three or four years ago, I absolutely understood the argument, and it seems like that has carried it thus far. Let me just say three things. Number one, All-NBA matters more than All-Star. That just depends on your contract. Number two, (laughs) uh, the years that you mentioned that Damian Lillard did not make the All-Star team, he averaged 25.1 points per game and 27 points per game, respectively, and did not make an All-Star team. Number three, you mentioned the James Harden Piece. And let me just say, like, like when I think of Damian Lillard and James Harden, I think of them in the same vein. Now I understand that Harden historically that thirty five points per game that's nuts. I get that, and I acknowledge that. James Harden consistently hasn't played with you know at the beginning of Damian Lillard's career, right? He's got a big who he's got to feed the ball to. And so now, now we go look at LaMarcus Aldridge now. And we're like, oh, but let me tell you, LaMarcus Aldridge was the man when Damian Lillard first comes into the league. He has to, he plays with CJ McCollum. Like he's got other guys. And so that's as much a reason why he can't get 35 points per game as anything else, in my opinion. Um, and so when I see James Harden consistently in the top three MVP, like are there years in there where Damian Lillard maybe could have got in? You know, I understand that now he's starting to get props. So I understand that this maybe hit different four years ago. That being said, I feel like he was so disrespected four years ago. I'm going to keep a little at the top.
1: Here's what I want to hear is because there is maybe one name in the 2016 All-Star Game you could take out based on their play in 2016. But I, I want to hear you say it because it's the only way someone has to admit it. The guards for the West in the 2016 All-Star Game were Steph Curry, James Harden, Clay Thompson, Chris Paul, and Kobe Bryant. Based on their play in 2016, who are you cutting there, Shaka? I'm sorry, Mr. Ainsworth. You ain't going to hear me say it. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thing is like what NBA fan is going to say in his last year in the NBA they were going to take out Kobe Bryant from the game because he was not in the prime of his career
2: anymore, right? And so like I don't I don't think that that's fair to say. Well, let me I say don't... this. Damian Lillard could have been like I understand Damian Lillard has good a year as Klay Thompson or Chris Paul that year. So Klay Thompson is
1: on the 73 win Warriors that year though. So that, I understand.
2: That is... So that's that's the deal. But like I if we're talking about individual acknowledgement for your performance in terms of all-star i'm just gonna say that damian lillard has as good a year as clay thompson or chris paul so if you're asking me if one of those guys don't make it and he makes it like for instance chris paul doesn't make an all-star that year like i'm cool with that but I ain't so taking th- Kobe off. You can take Kobe off this last year. <laughs> that's not going to be shocking.
1: No, and the deal is statistically Kobe had the worst year of those five. But you're not taking him off that game. So that's that's why I was drinking it. The other thing I'll say is that the next year, 2017, the other year in his little gap of no All-Star games, the guards were Steph Curry, James Harden, Russ Westbrook in his MVP year, and Clay Thompson. The easier move there would be to take out one of the forwards as a swing positional player. So to take out Marcus Gasol, or to take out a DeMarcus Cousins. Although the Sacramento Kings DeMarcus Cousins, that's a really good DeMarcus Cousins. And so, or Gordon Hayward, I guess, in the Utah Jazz. So my thing there is, like, it's who do you take out? If you're wondering about how could you fix this NBA All-Star snub thing, uh, selfless promotion here is my All-Star Snub's fix article is on BellyUpSports.com. Again, my Dan Lillard case might have been bigger a few years back, but I just I feel like he's gotten so much props as the underrated guy lately that in the last three years that I don't know if he's there
2: anymore. Okay, Mister Ainsworth, it is time for us to get in on this hockey craze on BellyUp Sports. Everyone, <laughs> everyone's doing the hockey stuff. So, uh, in the famous words of Chance the Rapper, let's do that hockey, Mister Ainsworth. <laughs> the uh, thesis statement reads: Tom Wilson is the dirtiest player in professional sports. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth... How are you going to grade that thesis statement? So I sit here as a guy that doesn't watch a whole lot of hockey, but did see this clip of this hit, a clip of a clip.
1: I don't know what you call it, but man, <laughs> that is, that's as dirty as it gets. I'm going to go fairly high because I intuitively think it has to be a hockey or football player because there's so much violence and so many chances to be dirty. So I'm going to go high in like a B B+, mostly because it's
2: crazy dirty to see as a non-hockey guy. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? Okay, I'm going to go C, but I want everyone to know that I think Tom Wilson is the dirtiest player in the NHL but i'm gonna go see because i think that there are a couple of current players who are dirtier even though their dirt might look a little different okay mr ainsworth the thesis statement tom wilson is the dirtiest player in professional sport you went pretty high i went c for folks who have not seen the hit On Brandon Carlo. Get on social media and go see this thing. Because Brandon Carlo's in the corner. Trying to just get the puck out of the corner. Back turned. Tom Wilson comes skating. Probably a good 20 feet on the ice. And he doesn't body check him. He throws his body into Brandon Carlo's head. Brandon Carlo of course leaves the game. This is the dirtiest play that I've seen in years in a hockey game. And it's probably the dirtiest play I've seen since 2018 where Tom Wilson, he's just a dirty dude. He got fined $1.2 million, got a 20-game suspension because of how dirty his hit was back in 2018, just middle of the ice against the St. Louis Blues, just a, the one of the dirtiest plays I've ever seen. Now, Mr. Ainsworth, talk to me, because you went pretty high. Who are some of the players who you look at in terms of just being dirty? That you want to acknowledge during this segment. Well, across
1: sports, as someone who's more familiar with football, I'd go to, like, the Dominican <laughs> Um And it's not that I don't enjoy watching Sue play, which is probably not a great thing if I'm, like, trying to be introspective. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I I really think, like, he stepped on calf a year ago, or you see him taking groin shots here, or slaps to the head there, and those kind of things. Or, you know, a little late on the whistle there, or whatever. I, I think that he'd be my pick in current football uh, I would also look at, like, recent football and go to, like, Suggs being a guy that likes to hit the quarterback a little bit after the ball is thrown.
2: <laughs> That's his job. But, That's why I pay him.
1: <laughs> yeah, but not while he doesn't have the ball. The other thing I'll say is that the easy winner for, like, the last 10 years of football to me is Vontae's Perfect. Um, I, I maintain that, you know, he is out to injure people in certain games more than tackle people and, and doesn't seem to care. And, and I, again, I lean to thinking this has to be a football or hockey argument because, a dirty play in basketball or a dirty play in baseball is not—it's not like you can't get hurt. It's not—it's not, it's not that those games are super safe, and I don't mean to say they're non-contact, but it's not the same to me. Like within a collision sport like hockey and football, if you're doing something that is not within the rule book, there you're doing something really
2: violent. So Tom Wilson, I mean, it's arguable, but he's as dirty as any player in the game. If what we're talking about is like within the rules of the game on a day-to-day basis as we're playing the game. You're doing stuff that feels cheap and unnecessary. Let me say this, Mr. Ainsworth. When I think about dirty, like, I want to expand my definition even a little bit. So, I think that the dirtiest player in sports is Ryan Braun. And folks might be like, well, what has he done? Performance-enhancing drugs in order to win an MVP. And then when he was called to carpet about potentially being a steroid cheat, he went the Lance Armstrong route denying, suing, going scorched earth against people who question his integrity and then it came out that yeah he took steroids so to me i look at ryan braun and he's maybe the dirtiest athlete in the history of athletics in my lifetime because i look at him and i question him from a moral standpoint tom wilson is a dirty player on a day-to-day basis like within the rules of the game he goes above and beyond. I think that Vontes Burfick fits that and Domice who fits that. I I get into this stance of there are some folks that are just dirty individuals like in terms of who they are from the moral character's perspective. And so that's why I say Ryan Braun is like the dirtiest guy in sports cuz I have literally no respect for him. Now Mr. Ainsworth, I I push that argument. Is that an acceptable argument within this debate as we look at someone in terms of maybe unnecessarily stretching the rules, playing to the echo, the whistle within the confines of a sport.
1: I think that's fair to stick within bounds for this because that's in relation to like Tom Wilson. In relation to the hit we're talking about, that's certainly what we're doing, right? Is we're not talking about hockey players that have done dirty things outside of the rink. We're talking about the hit from as we're recording on a Saturday last night.
2: So let me say I have my list of guys who are like current, the dirtiest guys in sport and like historically the guys who I think are the dirtiest let let's start with hockey i know that you are not the biggest hockey fan but i grew up in new york so i grew up watching like my rangers won a cup in 1994 we just haven't gotten to win another one since but we're coming (laughs) we're coming just not this year um so tom wilson to me is the dirtiest player in the game mr ainsworth while i'm talking about the guy who i think is the dirtiest player player that i've ever seen in my lifetime i want you to google a guy by the name of claude lemieux and when you (laughs) google claude lemieux i want you to google his hit against Chris Draper, when Draper played for the Red Wings and it was in the playoffs. And the Red Wings did not want to shake Claude Lemieux's hand after the series. And hockey being what hockey is, they always shake hands at the end of a series. Like, they get it. We're going to go out. We're going to hit. And sometimes you... Claude Lemieux is a dirtbag. Thank you for looking at the hit and giving me the ooh and the confirmation. (laughs) (laughs) And now you understand why... He's backing up. Oh, that... uh. (laughs) Mr. Ainsworth Claude Lemieux I don't think is someone who consistently comes up in terms of like the dirtiest player list he's got he's got stuff like that on on his resume I believe it was Black Widow in the Avengers movies who said I've got red on my ledger like Claude Lemieux got red on his ledger now Mr. Ainsworth let's jump back to football I agree with you I think that Indominus Sue is the great is the dirtiest player in the game today historically, if I were to say who's the dirtiest player I ever saw, Bill Romanowski is the dirtiest player I ever saw. And he's the combination, Mr. Ainsworth, of a guy who used to stretch the rules and hit you maybe at the echo of the whistle, and a guy who was a steroid cheat. So, like, he gets the moral and the... Like, he is the combination... He is Voltron coming together of Tom Wilson and Ryan Braun. So, Mr. Ainsworth, if I was to say to you, maybe dirtiest football player that you can remember. Is it Vontez Burfecht?
1: So, I mentioned Burfecht because I think of Burfecht as being super dirty in recent memory. I think I didn't say Finnegan because he got – he lost a one-way fight, I'll say, against Andre Johnson. And I I don't know if that qualify as dirtiest anymore. I also think of, like, Ray Lewis. So, Ray Lewis was, like, Hmm. extra violent on the field. He had some smaller substance things with a deer antler velvet or whatever um, (laughs) off the field, which I guess also qualifies. He also was potentially involved, but not involved, but kind of sort of hush-hush involved in a murder. Like, that seems pretty dirty, (laughs) too. That's kind of dirty, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'd, I'd lean in that group of people I've watched in my lifetime. I also think it's worth pointing out that, like, there are some guys that are dirty players in today's NFL that I have a hard time calling dirty because they throw hard hits that weren't dirty in the nfl i was watching as a kid i'm not gonna call you know tyron matthews crazy big hits across the middle dirty as much as you know like that was just kind of what ed reed did what yeah Dawkins like right what like,
2: ryan clark did and ryan clark used to get fined for it, and he's like listen i came up in a different era now you want me to adjust and it's like right. but you don't ask the offensive players to adjust you know what i mean
1: i don't want to call those guys dirty if they wouldn't have been dirty a couple years back 10 years back um i think of dirty as like you're saying after whistle. As the whistle is being blown, once the ball's already been out of the creepy's hands for a second or whatever. Those are what I think
2: of when I think of dirty NFL players. Mr. Ainsworth, I want to go into your wheelhouse and maybe we wrap the segment here. Dirtiest player in the NBA. I would say that the dirtiest player in the NBA today is Draymond Green. And I say that he does some sneaky stuff. He flops. He complains. He complains. And then he'll punch you in the groin. Just ask LeBron. Like, <laughs> this is who Draymond is. And so I, and I do think that a part of Draymond's kind of, let's just say, borderline play is the fact that he's a second-round draft pick from Flint, Michigan. I don't, I don't know if he's from Flint, but he's definitely from Michigan. And so he came up hard playing for Michigan State. And, like, he kind of has a chip, and he's daring you to knock it off. And I think that Draymond right. plays like that. And I do think that he has some dirty stuff in his game. I would say that the dirtiest player, though, that I ever saw, Mr. Ainsworth, was Dennis Rodman. And, uh, yes, he was Bad Boy Pistons, but he's also the dude that kicked the uh photographer in the crotch when he played for the Bulls. Like, this is Dennis Rodman. He <laughs> he played it like Draymond. Like, he would do dirty, chippy stuff, get you to shove him, but he was kind of chipping at you all game. So I think of them very much in the same vein. And let me just say this, Mr. Ainsworth. If anyone calls Charles Oakley dirty, you're going to have to fight me. Just saying. <laughs> uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how do you feel about... The dirtiest players in the NBA. Like, who do you say is the dirtiest player in the game today?
1: So, today I also uh, tend to think Draymond. Other guys I'd put in this list would be like uh, Steven Adams. I think, uh, <laughs> just, yeah, p- part of that's just because he's just so large, he can't really control it all the time. Like, a normal box up for him maybe does something worse and looks worse on TV, or at least that's what he would say. And I'm not going <laughs> to. <about it. laughs> I, I think that Chris Paul is on this list too, and I love Chris Paul. I love watching Chris Paul play basketball, especially when he's feeling healthy and good, like he has the last two years. Chris Paul is, he knows where all three refs' eyes are. At he also time. knows
2: where all two of your testicles are.
1: He's got a lot right. of those too. He did that. He had one of those moments in, in college himself, right? And so I think, that's where I tend to think of current guys. When I think of historic guys, obviously, I didn't get to watch the Bad Boy Pistons live. Dennis Rodman, I think of as as a, as a Bulls guy, and so I would have him on this list, obviously, as well. I think Dennis and Draymond also have a lot of overlap in their play. One of them dated Carmen Leitra, I guess, so it's a little different. But <laughs> I, I think that that's an interesting comparison. I think of Zaza Pachulia. Maybe it's because of the step under <laughs> on the jump shot. I also think of, when you think of stepping under shooters... The San Antonio Spurs are famous for a guy named Bruce Bowen, who did that all the time. <laughs> um, I think of Matt Barnes, and it might just be because he was hyper-aggressive, but man, he was at people's literal throats. I go to Ron Artest, or the Artest formerly known as Ron, I should say. <laughs> and in the same mouse in the Palace Vane, you have jermaine o'neal you also have a guy named ben wallace and man <laughs> you had to be
2: dirty to be ben wallace playing that position at that time in that i will league. say ben wallace falls into the stephen adams category in my opinion like he's just he like physically he would move and like he's just so strong that you get knocked down you know what i mean but i understand like i get it <laughs> um let me say this way worth i am stunned that patrick beverly was not mentioned by you stunned uh, his
1: dirtiest moment was as a Houston Rocket. Can I say one non team <laughs> sport person, one non team sport person that we have not mentioned yet? Is Tanya Harding more dirty than any of them? Oh, damn. Um,
2: <laughs> incidentally, <laughs> like, I was going to end this segment by saying we have to acknowledge the dirtiest player in the game, Ric Flair, and give you a woo. But let me just say, <laughs> that feels so inappropriate when you bring up Tanya Harding. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of F in Sports. Mr. Ainsworth, I know that you have a lot of cool stuff going on during the week. I love that you told folks about all the stuff that you're writing for Belly Up. Uh, Remind us of how awesome Midweek Midrange is, please. This is a good time to do that.
1: Yeah, so the Midweek Midrange is a weekly midweek show. It's on our Twitter channel and YouTube it's at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram, and it's just belly-up writers sitting around talking about basketball. Uh, we always go, go live at 9 o'clock on Wednesday, 9 o'clock Eastern, I should say, on Wednesday nights. You can find us again on Twitter or YouTube. It's at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram, and we break down whatever's going on in the NBA that week. Uh, this week, with it being the All-Star low, we'll probably talk a little bit about the All-Star weekend and look ahead to next week, uh, but... I'm usually on it, but it's always a host of belly up
2: basketball writers and it's always a good time. No, absolutely. Make sure you check out Midweek, Midrange. Uh, it's March Madness time. Go check out Score Zag Score too. Like if UK is not going to be good, let's root for Gonzaga to <laughs> make history, right? Score Zag Score is an awesome podcast. And listen, if you are a college basketball fan, you don't have to be a Gonzaga Bulldog nerd to appreciate this podcast. It's a uh, great content. And uh, since we're talking hockey, shout out, uh, broadway hat shout out kyle hall like he's a rangers guy so you know i love that so make sure you check out uh, a little bit of hockey too broaden your knowledge a little bit mr ainsworth we're plugging everyone else let's remind folks of our socials too (laughs) (laughs) you can find me personally
1: on twitter and instagram at painsworth 512 that's at p-a-i-n-s-w-o-r-t-h 512 all one word on Twitter and Instagram. We also have an FN Sports Twitter page. That's FN Sports 2, the number 2. P O R T S number 2, all one word. I use dash P-A. Shaka we use dash C-C, so you know who you're talking to. We
2: also have a show Instagram, Shaka absolutely you can find us on instagram at f underscore n underscore sports you can find me on instagram and on twitter at shocker cummings at c-h-a-k-a-c-u-m-m-i-n-g-s friends thank you guys for listening again this week please go out like subscribe share do all the wonderful things to help out our podcast and please remember when it comes to sports don't flunk with us later guys